Hello and welcome again. This is the series I've entitled 66 Books, 66 short 5 to 10 minute podcasts which look at the 66 books of our Bible. And you've reached today the book of Mark, the book of the servanthood of Jesus Christ. Mark's Gospel has been widely recognised as the most simple and direct of all the Gospels. It is certainly the shortest and the most straightforward of all the Gospel accounts. Like the other Gospels, Mark is technically anonymous. However, from the first century, the commonly held view that the author was in fact John Mark of Jerusalem, and that his Gospel reflects Peter's account of Jesus' ministry. In the case of Mark, there are relatively few passages that give any hint concerning his own interests or personality, and say nothing about his background or his identity. Church history, however, is very different. There is early and unanimous evidence that John Mark did in fact write the Gospel of Mark. Mark himself came from a prominent family in the early Jerusalem church. His parents are seen to be wealthy enough to own a large house and employ servants. We know that from Acts chapter 12. And at least one of his close relatives, Barnabas, is seen to be a reasonably prosperous landowner. And we know that from Acts 4 and Colossians 4. The traditional belief is also that Mark's family home was the place where Jesus held the Last Supper and where the disciples met in the very earliest days of the church. It is believed that Mark's Gospel account was written before the destruction of Jerusalem, which we know occurred in 70 AD, but beyond that little is known. Clement of of Alexandria tells us in his writing that Mark was entreated by the Romans to record Peter's preaching for them. If that is so, then the Gospel of Mark was probably written during the time he spent with Peter at Rome during 61 and 67 AD. Mark clearly wrote this account for Roman readers, and four main reasons are given for reaching this conclusion. Firstly, it contains very little emphasis on Jewish law and customs. Secondly, Latin phrases are often used where Greek would have equally served. Thirdly, Aramaic words are interpreted for the readers, which wouldn't have been necessary if they were local Palestinian or Jewish believers. And early church history is almost unanimous in affirming that Mark wrote this account for it to be read by Christians based in Rome at that time. The subject of Mark overall is presenting Jesus as the servant. It's interesting to note it has no genealogy, no account of his virgin birth or even a history of his childhood. This is because many believe that when portraying a servant he needs to be seen in action and his pedigree in a sense is not relevant. Mark is a book of deeds. There are only a few discussions and discourses and only four of the 15 parables that are mentioned in Matthew are even given here. Jesus is pictured as a worker, hastening from one task to the other. The word immediately occurs over 35 times in this gospel account. 
The key verse of it, many believe, is Mark 10.45, where we are told that Jesus' purpose was to minister and to give life. So Mark stresses the servant aspect of Jesus' ministry. But even in doing that, he by no means remained silent concerning Jesus' role as a teacher. Indeed, teaching is very much seen as part of Jesus' work. His words grow out of his work, not his works out of his words. Whilst Mark stresses the servanthood of Christ, he does not neglect the sonship of Christ. The opening verse strongly declares that for us. However, the servant that Jesus is, he is also must be seen as the Son of God. The message is that Jesus is the Son of God who came to serve, to die for sin, to be resurrected, and thereafter commission his disciples to preach the gospel to the entire world. When considering the structure of the book, we can say that although Mark and Matthew pretty much cover the same ground, Mark is not nearly or as neatly organized as Matthew. There is no repeated phrase for us which conveniently divides the book up. However, unlike Matthew, Mark is in the main chronological, and its overall structure, many believe, is geographical. So following an introduction in the first half of chapter 1, we are then introduced in the first section to Jesus' servant ministry in Galilee, and that covers the first nine chapters. Then the next section, we see his servant ministry in Judah, in chapter 10, and then in chapters 11 to 13, we see Jesus' servant ministry continuing as he goes to Jerusalem, and in fact, as he goes to give his life. And then finally, the conclusion of this book from chapters 14 to 16 show that the servant Messiah's death and resurrection. The Gospel of Mark records more action than any other Gospel, but it also records less of Jesus' teaching. Its basic purpose of the book, as the opening verse indicates, is to show that Jesus is the Son of God. According to Mark, the entire ministry of Jesus showed us that he was a divine person in human form, that he was in fact the Messiah who came from God. Another important purpose of Mark was to encourage Roman Christians in their service, but also in their suffering. After five years of a fairly responsible rule, Nero, the Emperor of Rome, became a more and more reckless despot. Then in the summer of 64 AD, something happened. A disastrous fire swept through the city of Rome. Of the 14 regions of the city, three were completely reduced to ashes and rubble, and seven others had many of their oldest buildings and monuments destroyed and were very seriously damaged. Only four of the 14 regions were spared. A scapegoat had to be found for this terrible situation, and the Christians were blamed for the fire. Nero had any self-acknowledged Christians rounded up and arrested. Then, on their information, usually given under torture, large numbers of others were condemned. They were either torn to pieces by dogs, or many were crucified, and many also were made into human torches, to be lit after dark as substitutes for daylight. All of this is the background for the Gospel of Mark, who was speaking into this terrible situation, this awful situation that the Christian community faced 
under Nero's persecution in Rome. In Mark's Gospel they were able to find that nothing that they were suffering under Nero's persecution was different to the experience of Jesus himself. Like them, he had misrepresented to the people and falsely accused. They also knew the experience of betrayal from within their own intimate circle of friends. And like them, they knew what it meant figuratively, sometimes literally, to be carrying their cross. Tacitus, the Roman historian, affirms for this that this was the reality for Mark's readers in Rome. This had been the literal experience of many of the Christians there. They were under a similar threat of punishment that could move many to make a denial of Jesus. And this is possibly why within Mark we have the explicit reference to Peter, the way in which it opens up that account of his denying the Lord and his restoration. So there is a promise there that restoration can even be given to those who have denied the Lord. Here we see the basis for forgiveness for many of those Christians who were brought before the tribunals of Rome. This is the situation facing the Roman Christians of Rome and they would have read this first gospel in that light. And finally, throughout this gospel, Mark reinforces the essential truth that Jesus was the Son of God. Even the demons are seen to know that he was the Son of God in events that occur in chapter 3 and chapter 5. Jesus' disciples all recognize it in Mark chapter 8. And the Father confirms it by the transfiguration in Mark chapter 9. Jesus himself, even in this gospel account, proclaims it more clearly than in any other and he does so to both his disciples and his enemies and even a Roman centurion at the cross is seen to be admitted in Mark 15. So in summarizing this book what we see here is the gospel of Mark presenting Jesus as the son of God who came to serve and to die for sin but to be resurrected and issue a commission. His disciples are to preach the gospel to the entire world. Servants give their lives away and that's what Jesus does here and that is also what we are told to do through this gospel account. <laughs>